What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. Today, we had the honor of interviewing Dana Monsies, a licensed dietitian, nutritionist, and body image coach who practices from a haze non-diet approach. Her philosophy combines neutral nutrition with weight-inclusive care and the principles of integrative health to help women heal their relationship with food and their bodies as a root cause of chronic health conditions. Dana hosts the Wholehearted Eating Podcast and has been running her recipe and nutrition blog, Real Food with Dana, since 2014. What's not in her bio as well, though, is she's also a swim coach and a former collegiate swimmer, which I thought was really cool, too. Um, and this episode was, I think the only way to describe it is Sam mentioned in the episode, and I was thinking the exact same thing per usual, is I need to listen to it again and take notes because she educated both of us so much in this episode. Yes. And I, I said off air, which I'm happy to share on air that I (laughs) absolutely want to just like schedule a session with her because I think it's, it's so cool in the nutrition space. And I know we've talked about this on other episodes, or maybe it's been off air of just how many guests we've had between season two and one, two and three. But I feel like lately we've just been finding people that are extremely niche down in the haze weight inclusive space, which is just so encouraging because I think a lot of times I feel like everyone's saying the same thing and everyone's doing the intuitive eating principles. But once you make peace with food, once you integrate the principles, but let's say have a chronic health condition, now there's these professionals that we have connected with that like we can refer clients to and can be really helpful in such a specialized way, which I think is awesome and so needed in the medical field. It's literally breaking down the barriers and the nonsense that people are that intuitive eating haters, for lack of a better term, are stating all over social media that you can't do intuitive eating with X, Y, and Z. And I do feel like we have covered most of those topics now between our three seasons um, about all of the health conditions that intuitive eating works with, heavy air quotes. Um, And I I really believe your minds are going to be blown when you listen to the way that Dana like paint the picture and tells a story about this like really specific science of things and processes that are going on in your body and steps we are also provided on how to change that and how to change the course of action um, of the stuff that is happening underneath our skin, which I think is just like fascinating. 
Yes. Like we were, I feel like our minds were blown. And we're like, could we even go to school? Like, do we, do we sleep through this class? Like where, what, what's going on? So if you have questions about cortisol, if you've ever been told you have adrenal fatigue or have questions about yes. adrenal fatigue, you're definitely going to want to listen to this video. So let's get into it with Dana Monsies. Welcome back to another episode of What the Actual Fork podcast. Today we have Dana Monsies, a licensed dietitian, nutritionist, and body image coach. We are so happy to have you here, Dana. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me on. I just, it's so funny because I knew like a while ago when I started listening to you guys that just from the name of your podcast, I was like, oh yeah, we're going to get along. It's going to be great. <laughs> well, I feel like you even, the first thing you said to us, like before you even said hi, you're like, my lighting is shit. And I was like, yeah, she's, <laughs> she's meant to be here. Like, it's just going to work. You can just tell. Um, so it's going to be a good one today. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Swearing, cursing, all things are allowed here. So, um, Let's get into our opening question with you. We love to ask our guests whether it was today, yesterday, this past week, this past year, what has been your biggest moment that has made you say, what's the actual fork like related to diet culture? So first thing that pops oh. up for you. <laughs> Disclaimer related to diet culture. Oh God. Um, Wow, that is a great question. I would definitely say one of the most, like, what the actual fork moments, I think, for me over the entire pandemic was has just been, like, the entire focus on, like, the quarantine 15. And it's just, especially the of us, those of us who work in, like, the disordered eating, eating disorder population, it's like, you're not making anything better. Um, and even people who had like considered maybe working on their relationship with food and body image prior to the pandemic. And they're like, well, now we're just going to cope with food or with restrictions. So this is going to go well. And of course you see that bleeding over into, you know, the holiday marketing, the new year marketing, everything like that. So it's like a never ending spiral. Doesn't it feel like, and just, just as a side note that we've been talking about that topic since we started our podcast, Emmy. <laughs> Like literally we're going on season three soon. And I just feel like that it's just, that needs to go. That needs to end with 2021. Do we agree? <laughs> well, that was a good one to kick us off. And then Dana, we want to hear more about you, how you got to be the MS, CNS, LDN and body image coach that you are and how you got to become this niche that you have. I don't actually know if I said that word, right? I feel like it's, is it niche? I don't know, but. <laughs> whatever they, it's the same thing can I we weigh in niche. on that I see okay I feel like I just like it came out and I was like oh that wasn't right <laughs> uh, but your niche is so specific and I would love we would love to hear more about you know what prompted that that niche for you yeah definitely so I'll start with the reason that I became interested in nutrition in the first place I think it's very similar to a lot of dietitians and nutritionists is I was obsessed with food as a way to try and attempt to control my body size. Um, so I was a swimmer growing up. I played volleyball, like very, you know, body conscious sports. And so when I was swimming in college, it was the first time in my life that we actually had like an off season. And suddenly it was like, oh my God, I can't 
just eat, you know, quote, whatever I want, which is what swimmers are told our whole lives because now it matters. And now you're getting older when you're in college and your metabolism's changing and you hear all these very conflicting messages between, oh no, you need to eat because you're an athlete and also don't eat too much because then it'll be really hard to get off and you'll see it in your swimsuit. So that in short turned into a pretty severe eating disorder. And then I started having all these food issues to no one's surprise now with hindsight. But it also turned out that I had celiac disease. So I was messing around with different elimination protocols, trying to figure out why I was nauseous all the time. And I was having all these other issues in addition to, you know, the very extreme eating disorder, disordered eating that was going on. Um, and that turned into a lot of different health conditions that I could not figure out, no doctors could figure out. So I went the functional medicine route and was like, wow, you can actually do some healing with food. So then after working in politics for a couple of years, when I was like, wow, I hate this and my life is being sucked out, um, I decided to go back for my master's in clinical nutrition. And that's where I got the MS. <laughs> then the CNS part is certified nutrition specialist, which is where you then have to get, at least in Maryland where I am, a thousand supervised hours. You have to take the national board exam. You have to do supervision. You have to do, you know, all these different tests and things. And then from there, I got my LDN, which is the licensed dietitian nutritionist in Maryland. But how I came to this niche specifically is that um, listeners to my show, or if people have been following me or know anything about me for a while, like more than three years, I while I was in grad school, um, I used to be a certified coach of a popular elimination diet program, let's say. Um, and I started to see while I was coaching for that, because people do rounds and rounds and rounds of this program, right? And I'm not here to bash anybody, but I did see a lot of issues with that program. So anyway, <laughs> we can go there if we want to. But what I started to see was while the program was promising people to help build a better and more and healthier relationship with food, it was making it a lot worse for people. Um, while at the same time, I had become interested in nutrition because of gut issues and hormone issues and adrenal issues and everything, and I wanted to use nutrition for that purpose, I also found that using elimination diets for a lot of people led to an exacerbation of those issues because their relationship with food got worse. So then over the past couple of years, I started to kind of niche down, right, or niche down, whatever, into working with people who have not only the clinical piece of a lot of gut issues who have done a lot of elimination diets in the past, most likely they're dealing with some burnout or adrenal or thyroid issues. And it's kind of that trifecta of, we've got the relationship with food and body image, we've got the adrenal or burnout stuff, hormonal, whatever you wanna call it, and we've also got the gut issues, which gives you a really complicated kind of mess of, from a practitioner standpoint of, okay, well, I can't do an elimination diet with these people if you're being ethical, because even though it might result in an amelioration of some of their symptoms in the short term it's going to exacerbate the issues with their relationship with food it's going to make the body image stuff worse which we know is so tied to weight and so it's really a fine line of how can i use nutrition in a neutral non-perfectionistic way that's very evidence-based but also work on people's relationship with food and body image at the same time so that's how i landed there I love everything you just said. And I am your perfect client because I have all of the issues. Well, 
have been thankful and grateful enough to move past the disordered eating and body image issues, but thyroid issues, hormonal issues, gut issues my entire life. And so much of that stemmed from my disordered eating. So I feel you and your work is so, so important. So there's so many different ways I want to go with this. And Jenna, I want to make sure we get to your questions too, but I, I would love, can you just like define adrenal fatigue for listeners? And also like, this might be a silly question, but like, do you believe adrenal fatigue? Cause I've been to practitioners that are like, it's made up. It's not a real thing. Then you have other people that are diagnosing every client with adrenal fatigue. So obviously there hopefully is a happy medium there. So what oh, is yeah. it? Do you believe in it? And kind of just your expertise on that. Yeah. So first adrenal fatigue is not your adrenals getting tired. And this is like where most practitioners who say that adrenal fatigue is not a real thing, that's what they get hung up on. And unless it's something like Addison's disease or Cushing's disease, which are adrenal diseases that have an autoimmune component to them, it's not your adrenals are exhausted because you've been so stressed so they stop producing cortisol, right? So I understand where a lot of those practitioners are coming from. Um, the way that I understand it and use it in practice is adrenal fatigue is really a collection of symptoms that is related to burnout, can be from work burnout, it can be from your relationship with food, under uh, eating and over exercising yourself into the ground, you know, all of these different stressful components that when we add them all together, cause a physiological collection of symptoms in the body that usually has a lot of different hormonal ramifications, whether we're starting in the adrenals and then we go to the thyroid, we've got the pituitary, we've got the hypothalamus, and we know that those things control almost everything in the body. Like every hormonal process is related here. Um, but the way that that happens, again, is not your adrenals getting tired. The way that I like to describe this to people is basically how we see the physiology of how diabetes and insulin resistance can happen. So if we think about carbohydrates and the way that insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, and then prediabetes, diabetes happens is really similar to the different stages of adrenal fatigue that you'll see in terms of how it actually hormonally happens in the body. So when we have a acute stress response, cortisol is released. And then ideally, after that stressor is removed and we've processed the stress out of our body, because those are two different situations that need to happen, then our cortisol will come back down and we're back in rest and digest mode. The problem becomes when we are continually living in a acutely stressful, which becomes chronically stressful environment, and we can't process that stress out of our bodies. Let's say we're living in a stressful environment, I don't know, living through a global pandemic and all of the things that go with that, and we don't have the tools or resources in order to process through all of that. So in addition to just our baseline being like a mild panic attack, there's also all these other things that are happening that are contributing to the stress cycle and a constant influx of cortisol. The body is now like, why am I even making so much of this anymore? Because there's so much cortisol floating around. The body's like, I don't need to use my precious raw materials that I could use for other things to, be, to make more cortisol because there's already so much floating around, which is also impacting our blood sugar, is impacting other, other hormones and everything. But again, the adrenals don't stop producing cortisol. The body just becomes more cortisol resistant. So it's really similar to insulin resistance in that the body's like, we don't need to make more of this. There's already so much. So it's just not going to be outputting as much. But again, the adrenals are not getting tired. 
So then what we'll start to see is after we see the initial stage, and a lot of people debate this as well, but you can pretty much tell by looking at someone's cortisol panel over not just once, but a couple of times to see where they are in this kind of adrenal fatigue or burnout, if you want to call it that spectrum of is the cortisol persistently high? Is it low in the morning at high at night? And that would be what we call tired and wired. Or is it pretty much lower on all uh, different types of the day that we would, you know, ideally like it to be? And then basically, the more severe the cortisol depletion is or the, you know, dysregulated cortisol, the more severe the symptoms that are associated with that are going to be. And so the most common one, which I think is why they called it adrenal fatigue in the first place, is tiredness, right? This overwhelming notion of just chronic fatigue. And I think it's also really hard to pinpoint this as well because especially living through this pandemic right a lot of people are dealing with a lot more mental health issues we can't go outside as much and now it's cold outside and so it's like is it mental health like is it depression is it seasonal affective disorder or am i just tired all the time or am i not eating enough am i just tired all the time or is it my adrenals am i tired all the time you know it can be a whole lot of different things um but then Especially with, um, you know, athletes, you'll start to see slower recovery time. You'll start to see like less muscle building. You'll start to see um, more insulin resistance, right? Start to see some blood sugar issues as a result of that constant influx of cortisol. Um, and just a whole bunch, like the farther we go, the more likely it is that we see period issues, you know, irregularity, different, you know, flow types and you know, we might start to see um, more PMS type symptoms. We might start to see gut issues. It's really common to see thyroid stuff. The most common thing that I will see on my intake questionnaire is people who have some dysregulated cortisol, so like high or low or a mix of both. And then you'll also see the blood sugar regulation category and you'll also see the thyroid category coming up. Um, and I tend to get a lot of people who fall into the over-exercise and under-eating category for whether it's because they've been trying to pursue weight loss for a long time or weight maintenance or weight control. But I get a lot of people who are former athletes or CrossFitters or marathoners, or I'm also a swim coach, so I get a lot of swimmers as well. So that's pretty much what I see um, in the best nutshell that I can give when it comes to adrenal fatigue. <laughs> I literally like have not stopped writing things down. And what came up for me first is, I mean, I've had quite a few personal trainers in the past and I just remember I had a female trainer specifically who was always talking about her adrenal fatigue, but like in my head at the time, like it never popped up for me, but she was always in a bodybuilding competition. She was always cutting everything. She was always, you know, searching for something and that just, it seems like a cover up almost. Like, do you find that adrenal fatigue diagnosis is kind of covering up some of these, like what you said, like over exercising, under eating symptoms? Definitely. I see, um, I kind of, you can make the comparison to IBS kind of in that, like, IBS is kind of a diagnosis of exclusion, right? It's not actually telling us what's going on. It's a practitioner validating that you're having gut symptoms, but they have no idea where it's coming from or like what's actually happening to cause this. With the adrenal fatigue, with most people that I see, um, it is greatly tied to over-exercising and under-eating in combination with a lot of other things, right? Like over-exercising and under-eating alone if severe enough could start to cause stuff like this but 
who only quote quote unquote only has that you know there's a, so many other things that are going on that will also contribute to this but what we're really looking at with adrenal fatigue is cortisol and sex hormone levels right and so if those start to be out of whack that's kind of my first signal that okay if this is you know at a certain level i'm definitely going to see issues downstream with the thyroid i'm going to see gut issues i'm going to see you know all this other stuff neurotransmitters start to get messed up as well but yeah i do see a huge connection with like the and you know I also see this with undernourishing, right, to kind of draw a difference here because a lot of people, especially personal trainers and, you know, people who go to the gym, they're like, oh, I'm not under eating. I'm following, you know, X plan. Well, it's like, well, yes, you're following that plan. So you're getting like your BMR basically. But if you're exercising, you're undernourishing for the amount that you're training. And most people who have been pursuing weight loss for a long time are also undernourishing just for their body's baseline needs. And the more stressed that you are, the more that this process is going on in your life, the more you're becoming deficient in minerals like magnesium and sodium and your vitamin D is going to be tanked and, you know, all this other stuff is going on as well. So it's like if you're undernourishing and you're already deficient in these things, we're at this point, we're going to have to be digging ourselves out of a pretty deep hole. Can I also just say before we move on that, like, I was just picturing you making a TikTok out of that story and like you dressing up as cortisol and like acting out. And I feel like if you haven't made that, like you need to, because it was so descriptive. Like if I closed my eyes, like I could see it. <laughs> I just think it would go viral. So that's I my love that. I don't, <laughs> I don't have a TikTok that I like post on TikTok is where I just consume things. I don't post anything there, but I think it would be a good reel too, but it definitely would. And now we're manifesting that for you. <laughs> um, I would love, so this is kind of on the same topic, but I, I hear all the time and I'm sure you hear this. I know Jenna hears this like in DMS or comments, like, well, intuitive eating isn't for people with blank. So you could pretty much enter like any health condition, like diabetes, adrenal fatigue, um, cancer, autoimmune, thyroid issues. Like you can't do intuitive eating if you have blank medical condition. So I would love to just hear you are so eloquent when you speak. So can you just kind of take that and run with it? Like to those people, what do you have to say or how do you handle those kind of myths? Yeah. So I think the first thing to ask yourself if you are someone who fall is falling in this category is what is your definition of intuitive eating right because there are a lot of misconceptions out there of what intuitive eating actually is and now i'm not an intuitive eating certified counselor or practitioner or anything but obviously i've read the book i work with a lot of people who are interested in intuitive eating and i've in general consumed a lot of intuitive eating information right if you use this from a true evidence-based practitioner standpoint, there's a ton of research that shows that intuitive eating can be used for diabetes, like type 2 diabetes, for example, and a whole bunch of other things. But if your conception of intuitive eating is just ditch everything that you know from dieting and ditch everything that you know about nutrition and just eat, you know, quote, whatever you want, then all you're going to be eating is the foods that you used to binge on. All you're going to be eating is the foods that used to be your no foods, right? Like, and that in itself is not actually intuitive eating because it doesn't incorporate the principle of gentle nutrition. Now, that period of unconditional permission to allow yourself to eat all foods is very important in getting to intuitive eating. 
but it's not there yet. And actually what I do in my practice is I would call like intuitive eating plus, right? So there isn't a lot of guidance for practitioners within the intuitive eating framework of how to use intuitive eating for specific health conditions. So what I do and what my um, podcast co-host and I call wholehearted eating is where we use an intuitive eating framework, but kind of go beyond that and bring in evidence-based nutrition and more of a neutral nutrition approach to think about, okay, let's say we're working through type two diabetes or Hashimoto's thyroiditis or celiac disease or, you know, anything like that. What are the foods that we can be focusing on adding in more of rather than focusing on, I need to eliminate this thing, you know, do the autoimmune protocol or something like that while also working on their relationship with food and unlearning all of those food rules. Because that's the same in intuitive eating, right? Ditching the diet mentality. But ditching the diet me mentality doesn't mean that you have to ditch all evidence-based nutrition practice, right? It just means that we're taking weight loss as the end-all be-all goal as a, or a measure of your self-worth out of the equation. So what I'm never doing with clients is giving them calorie counting, meal plans, or focusing on weight loss really at all. When we were together with this more, you know, intuitive, mindful eating, neutral nutrition without perfectionism approach, they might lose weight, they might gain weight, they might stay the same weight. Weight is not a focus for me. But when you're approaching this from a chronic health condition standpoint, which really is what I do, we also have to think about, okay, well, if you're taking this from a more neutral nutrition standpoint, you're not only giving yourself permission to eat all foods, you're also giving yourself permission to eat the foods that don't feel good for your body. Because even if I'm practicing a neutral approach to nutrition, I have celiac disease, for example. It would be irresponsible and unethical of me to tell someone else who has celiac disease, oh yeah, just go eat gluten. What? <laughs> no, literally no, right? So then if you're thinking about, you know, somebody who, um, you know, let's say their rheumatoid arthritis is triggered by eating nightshades or, you know, potatoes or something like that. Instead of saying, okay, you can never eat nightshades or you can never eat potatoes or whatever that trigger food is. It's what are the foods that we can add in that will work from a healing approach for your rheumatoid arthritis rather than focusing on the elimination. Now, is one of the goals in the long term for them to feel like that those foods are not necessarily a like, no, this is a bad food for me. And if I eat this food and it's my own fault, which is very, you know, unfortunately a side effect of what happens in functional medicine when we see all these elimination protocols. And then people truly do believe that it's their fault that con they're continuing to have symptoms. So this is why it's so important to approach this with a people's history, what is their history with their relationship with food in mind? Because do we need to do some unlearning of those old food rules and those food shoulds? And especially not only around their condition or the elimination diets and stuff, but around weight loss, right? Because what most people are coming to dietitians for, whether we want to work on it with them or not, is weight loss. And especially if they believe that the reason that they haven't gotten a hold of their health conditions is because they haven't lost weight and then they believe that it's their own fault. So this is where the interplay of all three of those comes together of relationship with food, body image, and then working on chronic health conditions from you know a more mindful, intuitive perspective. That was so beautifully put. I loved every second of it. <laughs> and I can't wait to like re-listen to this and take note of everything you're saying. 
Um, but I think it's so important because, and I love how you start, I love how you started with like, what is your definition of intuitive eating? Cause it's so true that so many people think it's just eat whatever the fuck you want and don't pay attention to anything. And we know that doesn't integrate any of the principles. So for those who are listening, and this might be a hard way to, or hard to answer because it's a little broad, but for those people who are listening that do have chronic health conditions, some of what you have given as examples today, let's say they're on their food freedom journey and they're, they're really integrating the principles. They have unconditional permission to eat. Do you have some broad tips or some action points or something that they can walk away from this episode with that can help them move towards more of a gentle nutrition approach or what, what are some things they can start doing that are evidence-based and still gentle in the nutrition realm? Yeah. Um, so I love this question. Um, I don't actually get a lot of people that are fully in this position because I mean, I don't work with a lot of people that are fully in this position. They're not there yet. I would love them to get there and we work towards it. Right. But what I find is when people do have chronic health conditions and they're at the unconditional permission to eat more, to eat all foods, there's still this lingering question of, but should I really be eating everything given that I have this health condition? So I would say, look into if, you know, if you're past the point of food rules and everything, do you still have any food beliefs of, oh, I feel like I shouldn't be eating this every day, or I feel like I, you know, should be eating more of that, whether it's from an elimination uh, standpoint or an abundance perspective, or I should be trying to add in more omega-3 fatty acids for whatever, you know, do we have any food shoulds around your specific health condition or more commonly multiple health conditions, right? Because that can make things a whole lot more complicated. And then if you do feel like you have those food shoulds, I would also guess that there are still certain foods that you tend to feel a little bit bingy or like out of control around, um, especially when it's related to chronic health conditions. Because let's use like a really simple example um, or a popular example, I would say, of like type 2 diabetes, right? Even if we take an intuitive eating approach with type 2 diabetes, people still hold the very understandable belief that they shouldn't be eating that much carbohydrates, they shouldn't be eating simple sugars, they shouldn't be eating, you know, they shouldn't be drinking fruit juice, you know, all this kind of stuff. Which then, if they have had a uh, relationship with food in the past where they have binged or been a binge eater or, you know, overeaten, impulsive eating, compulsive eating, whatever we want to call it, it's more than likely that the foods that they had binged on were the exact foods that they felt like they weren't supposed to be eating for their health condition, even if they're firmly on the page of, I'm allowed to eat all foods, you know, I'm an adult, I can choose to eat what I want. So the first thing that I would do would be to do some kind of internal searching and saying like, hey, you know, I feel pretty good with foods, you know, most of the time, but if you tend to binge ever, if you tend to, you know, crave certain foods or feel like there are shoulds around, think about where that might be coming from, because most likely it's from some, you know, it could be evidence-based too. It could be from a nutrition textbook. It could be from what you learned in school. It could be what your doctor told you, you know, whatever it is, but investigating where does that come from and always thinking about this from a mindset of curiosity rather than judgment, because judgment is what leads us back to dieting and shame. <laughs> um, and then what I would do beyond that is if, 
you have been, you know, let's say you've worked with somebody on food freedom and body image and you're still feeling pretty good, you know, mentally, emotionally, but physically your symptoms still coming back. That is the time to work with somebody who specializes in your health condition or who specializes in the management of chronic health conditions or symptoms, right? When I'm talking about chronic health conditions, I'm talking about anybody who experiences symptoms that diminish their quality of life doesn't have to be a diagnosis of type 2 diabetes or celiac or hypothyroid or you know anything like that the most amount of people that I see are people who are just dealing with persistent gut issues and they don't necessarily have other competing you know diagnoses or anything but that's like the most common thread that holds them all together but if you you know if you've got unconditional permission to eat all foods and you know mentally you're feeling pretty good but you're shitting your pants every day like that's not the quality of life that we're going for, right? Then you need to get some stool testing done. You know, you need to get somebody to look at that. You need to not try and figure this out on your own because the stress of what foods am I supposed to eat? Like what protocol should I be doing? What supplements should I be taking? Like why is this still going on after, you know, I've put all this work into us? That stress alone is enough to take you out of rest and digest and make your digestion worse on its own. So my Number two in this case, but I would say always number one, is go to a professional. <laughs> that was, per usual, incredible. And my husband <laughs> and I were actually having a conversation about that. I can't remember if it was this morning or last night, but he got acupuncture. And he doesn't listen to this podcast, so I could talk about him. Um, but he got acupuncture and um, the acupuncturist, I guess, was asking him a little bit about his nutrition and his diet and, you know, his state of mind when he's eating. And he was like, you would have loved this guy because he asked me, am I stressed when I'm eating? Am I standing up? Am I sitting down? And he made a comment that was like, he said, he was like, it was so intuitive eating. Um, that was, you know, if you're not sitting down while you're eating your meal and savoring your food and savoring each bite. And obviously it's unrealistic for a lot of people for every meal, but he was explaining to him like the science between what's happening in your body when you're in that rest and digest feeding mode versus high stress eating on the run chasing after a child who's walking like all of that which is has become our norm for a lot of the meals that we consume these days so you know I think it's just that plus everything that you just said has just really normalized so much of I believe what a lot of people are thinking and allowing people to have a space to go to get these questions answered is amazing. Um, so that, thank you. And then two, I know we're running out of time here, but I just wanted to call attention to one of your reels that your most viral reel that talks about overdrive. Um, and instead of you explaining all of this, I just want all of our listeners to go. If you go into Dana's reels category, it's the second one she ever made. It's the most viral one. And it has three <laughs> healthy quote unquote tips that send your adrenals into over overdrive. And I watched that a couple of times before we hopped on, but also um, just now was reading the caption as well. And I mean, it's all very normal things that people do that could be contributing to the way that they're feeling. And so if there's anything you want to add on top of that post before we just tell people where to find you and where to find it, um, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the crazy thing, right, is like a lot of very normalized, quote, healthy eating behaviors are disordered eating, are contributing to adrenal overdrive, are contributing to gut issues, are contributing to binge eating and overeating and, you know, just a very rocky relationship with food. So 
the one thing I always want to encourage people to think about is you don't have to have a diagnosis. You don't have to be, you know, quote, sick enough in order to talk to somebody. It's like, you don't have to have something going on in order to talk to a therapist. It's always helpful to talk to a therapist, you know, no matter what's going on. Um, but if you feel like one of your goals is you would love to think about food less and feel so controlled by food, then you probably have a little bit of a complicated relationship with food and it's great to talk to somebody about that. And the longer that that goes on and the more that you continue to follow whatever the advice is, it doesn't even necessarily have to be, you know, um, like unhealthy quote unquote advice. Any of this could contribute to an underlying health condition that you have or something that's developing if it goes unchecked for a long time. Because if, for example, if we follow the, uh, you know, like the traditional like New Year's entrepreneurship tips, we're all going to get burnout if we follow that, you know, for more than like a month. So it's very difficult to figure out and kind of synthesize, okay, well, what's going to be the best thing for me? And also, what's the best thing for me in this season of my life? Because that's very different age to you know different times in your life you know whether you have a kid whether you're having a kid you recently had a kid you know everything that's going on there it's always going to change and people will come to me and they'll say oh well you know this used to work for me i'm like okay well a lot has changed in your life since then and in your body since then so that may have been a tool that worked for you then but we need to go back to the toolbox because we need a different tool for this season in your life right now um but yeah it's so funny that like when i made that reel when i was like just trying to figure out how to use reels i was like i should probably do this because i don't know how to do this and then i was like Oh, wow. It was so funny because I posted that before I went hiking for a week in the Grand Canyon in Sedona. And it was just like blowing up the whole time that I was there. And I was like, oh, cool. I guess I'll do this more. Nothing has been as viral since then. So I'm like, well, I guess I should just not try and then things will blow up. <laughs> That's exactly how it works. Like when you're- That's post- Sammy's advice. <laughs> I was going to say, don't try when it comes to social media. That's my like- number one tip is the things that I've done that go viral. I'm like, what the hell? Um, I always ask her that. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? She's like, I just don't give a fuck. I'm like, cool. (laughs) Let me try. The (laughs) times that I don't give a fuck are when the magic happens. So that that is, I'm glad that that's happened for you as well. Um, I just watched it as Jenna, as you were talking, I think it's great to send listeners there. So for everyone listening, Dana, where can they find you on social media and where's the best place they can go for resources? Yeah, the best place you can find all of my stuff is my Instagram. Everything is linked there in the little link. It's Dana Monsies underscore CNS. So just my full name. Um, my podcast, which is also linked there, is called Wholehearted Eating. And then my website is also linked on there. So that's usually where I hang out on social media most of the time. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves and follow along with us on social at What the Actual Fork Pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for a lot more fun.